What's up, everybody? My name is Dustin Rubio, part of the Limitless Leadership Team and youth pastor at City Church Swansea. And this is the Limitless Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help youth leaders connect, think, and grow. Hi, everybody. My name is Tim Alford, National Director of Limitless, and welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Now, this is a very special edition of the Leadership Podcast because we're going to be giving you a, a few recordings from Limitless Leaders, our national gathering of youth leaders from across the Limitless community, starting with the opening session, which uh, I did on the six essentials of leadership. Enjoy. Great. Great. Really excited to share a few thoughts with you uh, this afternoon. If you uh, have a piece of paper or a notebook or a journal or an iPad with an app that you can draw on, uh, then I would love it if you could draw a triangle uh, with six rows in it. Like this. Here's one I made earlier. Uh, if you could draw a little something like that in your notepad or, or in whatever you've got to use, that would be really helpful because today I would like to talk to you this afternoon about the six essentials of leadership. The six essentials of leadership. Let me give that some context. The, the great beauty of the body of Christ is that not one of us is alike. That each of us has been deliberately and uniquely created by God on purpose for a purpose. And that means that there's not one of us in the room that will lead our youth ministries in the same way as another person. And that we lead at our best when we understand the unique set of gifts and strengths and personality and experiences that God has granted to us. And we lead out of who we are rather than trying to imitate the leadership of somebody else that we look to and admire. That's when we're at our best. But with that truth underpinning the thoughts that now follow, I have come to believe that there are six essential things to every leader, no matter what your strengths or gifts or personality or experiences are, that whoever you are, whatever context you find yourself leading in, that these things are essential to every leader who wants to be a fruitful leader. Am I making sense so far? Okay, good, good. But before I jump into those six things and explain to you what they are, uh, I'm going to give you six books, okay, that I think are essential for every youth leader, just to get us into the right mind frame, okay, six books that really you can't be leading your young people without, such as, for example, why is Jesus in the microwave? That's a youth ministry classic, or, or, or how about this one, a potato that wasn't a Christian, a story for children, not as funny as it sounds, <laughs> or how about this one, this is a classic, I hope you've read it, Amish vampires, in space. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can't get very far without this one. Jogging with Jesus. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Mm. Here are two. I mean, these, these next two absolute essentials for youth ministry. How about this one? Anybody can be cool. But awesome takes practice. Mm. That's right. And finally, that great unanswered question of youth ministry. Does God ever speak through cats? I, 
I mean, <laughs> okay, I, Matt, I got an amen in the room there. <laughs> okay, so six books, there you go. So the six essentials of leadership, that's what we're talking about today. And um, I, I, I will just say that... Uh, any one of these elements deserves an hour in its own right. So, so we're only really going to scratch the surface of each of these things, and we're going to zero in on a particular element of these things rather than try and uh, cover them uh, particularly. Um, so what I'm going to do is, is we'll zero in on, on one element. I will give you for each one a, a, a one-line takeaway uh, that I hope you'll be able to internalize, remember, and reflect on. But then what I will also do, I, I've developed for you something by way of a self-assessment uh, which, which will have leading questions which you can take away and consider and pursue each of these th- six things on a deeper level. Okay, so first thing before we get into the first essential, I wonder if you could take your pen and just draw uh, a line kind of halfway through uh, your triangle there. Uh, and if you would write beneath uh, the line, private foundations, okay? And if you would then write above the line, public leadership. Because three of these six essentials have to do with our private foundations, and three of them, I believe, have to do with our public leadership. The first three that we'll explore have to do with our private foundations. And they intentionally, very, very deliberately take up the most space in the triangle because they are the most important. And they are the most important because what you build is determined by its foundations. And just as, you know, the the quality of the fruit on a tree is determined by its roots, so it is with the leader. That the quality of the things that exist beneath the surface of your life will determine the quality of your leadership. So the first, then, private foundation on that basis is, no surprises, no points for guessing, uh, relationship with God. You can fill that in on your triangle, our relationship with God. And the thing that I'd like you to take away and remember from this is that fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. Fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. And to help us remember, I wonder if you would all say that with me. Are you ready? Fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. And again, it's not an accident that this is in the biggest box. It's in the biggest box because it is the most important. It is the thing, the foundation that everything else in our life and leadership must be built upon. Now, you already knew that. I haven't taught you anything new. But what's really interesting is why that is the most important thing and why that has to be the foundation of our youth ministries. Here's why. The best leaders that I know tend to be action-oriented, achievement-driven, make-it-happen kind of people. And that is a good thing. But it's also a dangerous thing if it's not built on and rooted in this first private foundation. Why? Because if our relationship with God is not the foundation of our youth ministries, then our activity comes to define our identity. That we become to 
define ourselves by our leadership rather than by our sonship. So in Luke chapter 10, you you read the story of Jesus sending out the 72 disciples. And he's sending them out on mission. He's sending them out to do stuff. He's sending them out on an activity-based mission trip to accomplish some things in the name of Jesus. And they go out and they experience God doing amazing things through their lives. And they come back to report to Jesus and they are fully amped up about the things that they have seen God do, the things that they have accomplished in his name. And this is what they say. It says that the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They are amazed at what God has done. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, listen to this. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, Jesus wants them to remember in the midst of their activity and accomplishment, Jesus wants them to remember that joy comes from their relationship with him, not their achievements for him. I am in a a little accountability group with uh, a few other guys, and uh, this year we've uh, read through a book together called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. Great book, I'd recommend it. Um, And I had one of those moments, you know those moments that you get sometimes when you're reading with with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to share with you the passage that, that really got to me, because it says this, that a driven person is most often gratified only by accomplishment. Somewhere in the process of maturation, this person discovers that the only way he can feel good about himself and his world is to accumulate accomplishments. And so the driven person looks for ways to accumulate more and more achievements. He will soon be found doing two or three things at the same time because that brings even more of this strange sort of pleasure. He lives in a constant state of uneasiness and restlessness, looking for more efficient methods, greater results, and deeper spiritual experiences. There is usually no sign that he will ever be satisfied with himself. And I've got to be honest with you that as I read that, I thought... The other guys in my group really need to hear that. I really... (laughs) No, I didn't. I thought, wow, that describes me. That describes me. Guys, can I just ask you to reflect, to consider really honestly how much of who you are is defined by what you do? What would happen, I wonder, ask yourself this question, what would happen to your identity if your ministry was taken away today? Is your identity rooted, I wonder, more in your leadership than in your sonship. Guys, we are Christians and we function as leaders. But so often we have been told you are a youth leader. You are a Christian leader. And so very quickly we come to confuse ourselves with our roles. But fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. Pete Scazzaro says it like this, That your being with God or lack of being with God will trump eventually your doing for God every time. 
We cannot give what we do not possess. We cannot help but give what we do possess. Wow. <laughs> Let that sink in for a moment. Your being with God will trump your doing for God every time. Why? Why is that true? It's because the greatest gift that we have to give to our young people is the love of Jesus in us. So let's be sure, shall we, this year, that we have enough being with God to sustain our doing for God. Francis Chan says that time with God has to drive you. God's presence is all that matters. If we are connected to him, then we we will bear much fruit. Everything is dependent on him. Everything depends on my relationship with God. Everything depends on my relationship with God. And that is why this is the first and the most important foundation. Fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. Okay, are we okay so far? Excellent. Okay, the second essential, I believe, um, has to do with our character. You can put that in your triangle. Our character. And the thing that I want us to take away from this one is that your character has to match your calling. Your character has to match your calling. Let's try saying that one together. Your character has to match your calling. Why? Because I, like you, have seen far too many gifted, capable, and indeed anointed leaders fall because they didn't have the private character to back up their public calling. And by the way, there, but by the grace of God, go I. The thing that's really scary to me about that, though, is that many of those leaders had a phenomenal reputation which goes to show that reputation and character are not the same thing. Reputation is what strangers think of you. Character is who you are when nobody is looking. And I believe that the source of good character, that the the great uh, mother of all the virtues from which all good character flows is humility. And so it's humility that I'd like to focus on for a few moments together this afternoon, which I guess is in, could be seen as strange in some ways because humility, on the surface at least, might seem like a surprising thing to focus on when we're saying that there are six essentials of leadership and humility is, is one of them. Because humility and leadership, it may be that these are things we don't naturally associate with one another because when we think about leaders, we think of, about charismatic and, and dynamic, maybe ruthless uh, type A personalities. But as it turns out, these are evidently not the kinds of characters that make the best leaders. Uh, one of the best leadership books I've ever read is, is called Good to Great. And it's by a guy called Jim Collins. And it's this massive bit of research about businesses. Uh, and they set about to discover what are the things that makes a company great. Okay, And here's how they defined a great company. They said that a, that a company uh, would outperform the rest of the market, not just by one time or two times, but would outperform the rest of the market by seven times 
and not just for you know a few months or even a year, but for a sustained period of 15 years. And so they found these companies that qualified as great, and they did some research into what makes them great. And it was there to their surprise that they discovered there was a commonality between the leaders of these companies, and they came to call them level five leaders. And here's how Jim Collins describes level five leaders in his book. He says, we were surprised, shocked really, to discover the type of leadership required for turning a good company into a great one. Listen to this. Compared to the high-profile leaders with big personalities who make headlines and become celebrities, the good to great leaders seem to have come from Mars. Self-effacing, quiet, reserved, even shy. These leaders are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. We found these types of leaders at the helm of every good to great company. You see, humble leaders are better leaders. Humble leaders are those who don't need praise or plaudits or popularity in order to perform. They are ambitious, yes, but never for themselves. But they are driven by a passion for the kingdom of God and for the people God has entrusted to them. They listen more than they talk. <laughs> They may be lesser known, but they are often more influential. You see, humble leaders will utilize the influence and resource that they have in order to promote the people around them rather than to promote themselves. And thus they become a launch pad for others to jump off rather than a ceiling that they cannot break through. See, your character has to match your calling. Your character has to match your level of competency. Your character has to match your opportunity. Your character has to match your gifting. Why? Because your gifting will take you somewhere, but it's your character that will keep you there. So I just wonder, I mean, this is a little bit odd, but I just wonder if rather than praying for more opportunity, which we often do, I wonder if a better prayer would be, God, would you forbid it that I get more opportunity than my character can bear up? So your character has to match your calling. Okay, good. And now the third and, and final uh, private foundation um, that I believe is essential to every leader, no matter who you are, is this concept of self-leadership. Self-leadership. And the thing that I want us to know about that is that you cannot lead others until you first lead yourself. I wonder if you could say that nice and Pentecostal with me. You cannot lead others until you first lead yourself. Okay, what do we mean by self-leadership? Let's clarify. It means that you and I are taking active responsibility for our own spiritual growth and personal development. It means, essentially, that you and I are being faithful stewards of our own potential and becoming more fully the person that God created us to be. You see, our potential is God's gift to us. What we do with that potential is our gift back to God. This is the driving principle that exists behind self-leadership. But in order for us to do that, 
In order for us to give the best of ourselves, the, the maximum of our potential back to God, I believe that there has to be an element of self-leadership that has to do with self-care. And it's this that I want to zero in on this afternoon. Um, and so I can explain it to you this way, and I've, I've nicked, this off, uh, nicked this off Bill Hybels, all right, uh, and adapted it a, a, a little bit. Um, but Bill talks about how um, we are at our best when we, this is a bucket, by the way, just in case you missed that. We are at our best when we are filled up to the brim. Indeed, when we are filled to overflowing, when we are overflowing with faith, when we are overflowing with passion, when we are overflowing with vision, when we are overflowing with the love of God. That is when we are at our best. That is when we lead at our best. But you see, ministry is about giving out. So we've got holes and we give out when there's a pastoral crisis that we have to see too and we we give out when we prepare our bible studies and we give out when we plan our residentials and sleep on a church floor at the gathering and we give out when we're doing health and safety and risk assessments and it's ebbing away the life from our very souls (laughs) we give out and so as we give out we become less full, we become more depleted. And so in order to be at our best and to be overflowing with faith and love and passion and vision, we need to identify some things that are going to fill us back up. We need to identify some things that are going to cause that bucket to replenish as we practice them. Because if we don't do that and only do that, we very quickly find ourselves leading out of a spiritual deficit. So a little conversation I had with the guys in my accountability group and I've got their permission to share this with you so I'm not breaking confidence. Uh, We did an exercise uh, a few months ago together where we took the fruit of the spirit from the scripture And we graded ourselves on those things, just as a process of self-reflection, of self-leadership. We said, how are we doing with love? How are we doing with patience? And so on and so forth. And something almost chilling happened when we did that. We found that we all, every one of us, scored the lowest on one element of the fruit and the spirit. That all of us had the lowest score on joy. How did that happen? How did we arrive at a day, my friends, when stress and fatigue became a badge of success rather than a warning sign? And so we identified that we were all low in joy. Why were we all low in joy? Because we didn't have enough coming in to sustain our going out. And so our bucket was not full and was ebbing away. And Pete Scazzaro describes it beautifully like this. He says that spiritual deficits typically reveal themselves in too much activity. Unhealthy leaders engage in more activities than their combined spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves can sustain. They give out for God more than they receive from him. They serve, listen to this, this is what got me. They serve others in order to share the joy of Christ, but that joy remains elusive to themselves. So guys, I'm just here to encourage you, if you want to lead yourself well, 
make pursuing joy and delight an intentional part of your life and leadership. Is that okay? Parker Palmer says this, I've become clear about at least one thing. Self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift that I was put on this earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to our true self and give it the care it requires, we do so not only for ourselves, but for the, life, but for the many others whose lives we touch. Guys, I know because I know you and you're my friends and I travel to see you and I talk to you, I know that you give out. I know that you give out a lot. I know that there is a lot of self-sacrifice involved in your youth ministries. But I want to say to you today that radical self-sacrifice requires radical self-care. So if you want the young people that you serve to really thrive in God, then focus first on what God needs to do in you. On what God needs to change in you. On what God needs to renew in you so that he can better use you for his mission. Because you cannot lead others until you first lead yourselves. Okay, so these are the private foundations then. And, and just about a word about these things collectively. And, and interestingly, though I'm talking about the six essentials of leadership, none of those things make you a leader, okay? So having a great relationship with God might make you a fully fired up Christian, but it doesn't necessarily make you a great leader. Having a good character might make you a good person. It doesn't necessarily make you a good leader. And leading yourself well might make you whole, but it doesn't necessarily make you a good leader. And so what I want to say to you about these three things, and you can write this down, is that you can have these things without being a fruitful leader, but you cannot be a fruitful leader without having these things. And that is why they're part of the six essentials of leadership. You can have these things without being a fruitful leader, but you cannot be a fruitful leader without having these things. I love how Stephen Covey says it in this way. He says, private victories precede public victories. You cannot invert that process any more than you can harvest a crop before you plant it. My friends, what we are willing to do in secret is often responsible for what happens in public. So if you want to be a fruitful leader, invest first in your private foundations. Okay? So here's what I want to do. I want us to, if we could go for it now, I've developed a little bit of a self-assessment for you on the private foundations. We're going to do this now, halfway through on these three elements, and again uh, on the final three elements. Now let me just explain how this works. You've got five questions for each of the elements, and the key is not to answer aspirationally, this is what I would like to be, but to answer truthfully about where you're at right now because the purpose is to help you identify areas of strength and areas of weakness. Is that okay? And so it's very simple. Um, you've got five questions and you score yourself from one to four. If the question is always true of you, then put a four in the box. If the question is never true of you, put a, put a, a one or a zero. I can't remember what I put on there. And, and add it up in that way. Does that make sense? 
Okay, brilliant. Uh, I hope that's helpful, and I hope that you can see how those questions are, are kind of worthy of some self-reflection in your kind of devotional time in, in their own right, and I hope that you'll take that away and, and take some time to think on those things. Okay, so those are the private foundation elements. What about the public leadership elements, which have to be built on the private foundations? They're not elements in and of their own right. Okay, the first one of those is communication. Communication. Were you all trying to guess what it might be? (laughs) The first one is communication. And I believe that there is an inseparable connection between my leadership capacity and my capacity to communicate. Now, I do want to try and say that together because it's a bit of a tongue twister and it's going to be a test of our communication skill. All right, so let's all try it together. One, two, three. There is an inseparable connection between my leadership capacity and my capacity to communicate. And I'm not just talking in this context from a platform or preaching. That's not what I'm talking about. It's part of it. I'm talking about in relationship or so. Why is that true? It's true. Because leadership is fundamentally about others. It's not about what I am able to accomplish on my own from my own office by myself. It's about what I am able to inspire and release others to become. So I was privileged enough to to have a couple of hours with a a leadership consultant uh, who may be known to to many of you called, called Jill Garrett. And uh, she's known right across the nation for her leadership training, but she's known primarily to us as Laura's mum, okay? So uh, I was able to get a couple of hours uh, with Laura's mum, and she helped me with my leadership. And um, most of it I don't remember, but one thing I remember explicitly and has made a huge impact on my leadership since that day. And we were having this conversation, and out of the blue, she she, she said to me, Tim, you, you are more of a Harley Davidson than you are a bus, And I was like, yes, Jill, I can see why you're so successful. (laughs) Please continue. She said, Tim, you're you're more of a Harley Davidson than you are a bus. You you go really far, really fast, but you don't take many people with you. I said, shut up, Jill. (laughs) No, No, I didn't. I thought you're right. And I made significant changes to my leadership that day. And if you were to ask my youth team here in Malvern now, they would tell you that um, I don't lead any of our team meetings. They would tell you that I don't do our ref- lead our reflections. They would tell you that I barely ever touch the microphone uh, of a Tuesday night or, or a Sunday morning because my primary responsibility as a leader is to release them into the people that God has called them to be. And uh, it shocked me into change. <laughs> you see, leadership always focuses on a community of people who exist to accomplish a shared mission and therefore leadership is always relational and because leadership is relational that means that leaders rise and fall on their capacity to communicate and so what I want to do uh, this afternoon is to give you three C's of communication okay in true preacher style all beginning with a C three C's of great communication okay and the first of those is that communication must be captivating captivating you know the best leaders I know they wrestle with words until they're able to communicate in a way that captures the imagination that lifts the spirit and that envisions the heart why because passion is contagious It's nearly impossible to be around the person who is just bursting with passion about something, anything, and not catch a little bit of their passion for yourself. 
And so I want to encourage you guys, never apologize for your passion. Don't, don't concentrate it. Don't water it down. Let it out. Paint vivid pictures of the future that you envision for your young people. Let the love of Jesus flow out of you unfiltered. Let, let, let the young people around you catch your passion for the, for the lost young people in, in your town and in your community. Let the fire in your belly translate into the sound of your voice as you communicate. Put it on its stand. Jim Collins says this, nothing great can happen without beginning first with passion. So great communication is captivating, but great communication is also clear. Here's what leaders do. Leaders bring clarity out of complexity. They are able to make complex concepts simple to understand. And that's why I believe that one of the primary responsibilities we have as youth leaders is to give our people a crystal clear picture of the mission, of why we are here and what we are doing. And this is a responsibility that personally I've, I've tried to take really seriously in, in, in the leadership that God has entrusted to me, both for Limitless nationally and for what we do in our, in our youth group here uh, in Malvern. So as a team, we wrestled for a long time before we landed on our mission and our mission as Limitless Nationally is to reach young people, equip youth leaders, and inspire dynamic youth ministry through the local church. I know it. My team knows it. It informs all of our decision-making. It informs all of our programming. There's nothing that, we'll do, that we will do that exists outside of the boundaries of that mission. It's so helpful to us as a team to have a crystal clear picture of our mission. And more recently, just, just a couple of months ago, I, I gathered with my youth team here in Malvern, and we wrestled with the same question, what's our mission? What's the thing God is calling us to do? And each of us kind of had an intangible picture of what that might be, and we kind of thought that we knew it, but we, we weren't crystal clear about it. And so we wrestled, and we disagreed, and it was great to just have some robust conversation in my living room one night. And we landed on this, that, that our mission at, at Limitless Malvern is about helping those who are far from God discover full life through Jesus. Helping those who are far from God to discover full life with Jesus. And that means that all of us know why we are there on a Tuesday night. We're not there to, to run an open youth club. And if you run an open youth club and that's the mission God's given you, uh, that is a great thing. But we're not there to do that. We're not there to disciple the young people only that already go to the church. That's not the thing that we believe God has called us to do. We are there to help those who are far from God discover full life through Jesus. And that means that we know... That if we have a night where only Christians come, then we are not succeeding in our mission. And our team knows that. Give your people a crystal clear picture of the mission. Todd Bolsinger says this. There is perhaps no greater responsibility and no greater gift that leadership can give a group of people on a mission than to have the clearest, most defined mission possible. Clarity is essential in our communication. And then the third C of communication is that it should be captivating, clear, and contextual. Contextual. And this is the one I'm still working at. And even as I teach about this, my wife is going to laugh at me because she knows I'm not very good at it. Okay? Because contextual communication is communication that is based on a deep understanding of the context of those with whom we are communicating. And you guys know that this is so important in youth ministry. 
as culture moves so quickly. But the key, of course, to contextual communication is listening. And you know, I think that one of the mistakes that we make, even in the church, when we are developing our communication skills, is that we think so much more about what we say than we do about how we listen. And this is revealed by the fact, and even as I say this, you're going to nod because you're going to know that you do this. Uh, This is revealed by the fact that when we are in a conversation, we find ourselves either speaking or preparing to speak. We find ourselves in a conversation when it's our turn to listen that we are inwardly preparing our response to what they are saying rather than seeking to deeply enter into the thoughts, the feelings, the understandings and the context of the individual to whom we are listening. But true, authentic, empathetic listening enables us to enter into the world of our young people and to communicate from that context. Stephen Covey says this, when you can present your own ideas clearly, specifically, visually, and most important, contextually, in the context of deep understanding of their paradigms and concerns, you significantly increase the credibility of your ideas. There is an inseparable connection between my leadership capacity and my capacity to communicate. Okay. Two more. Are we okay so far? Great. Here we go. Number five. And the second public leadership element I believe is essential for every leader, whatever your context, is vision. Vision. Now, I've talked about this before in in, in this context. We also have a 40-minute podcast on the Limitless Leadership podcast, which talks about elements of mission that I'm not, uh, vision that I'm not even going to touch on now, and I'd encourage you to download it and and, and listen to it. But the one thing I want to say about vision in this context uh, this afternoon is that leadership without vision is management. Okay, I wonder if we can all say that nice and loud together. Leadership without vision is management. You see, management is important. And it's needed, much needed, but management is not leadership. Management's a kind of stewardship. Management cares for what is, but leadership is not about maintenance, it's about movement. Leadership is about what could be and should be. Leadership is about where we are going. And so if we don't have a clear picture of where we are going, how can we be leading. Jesus kind of said the same thing in a different way. He said, can the blind lead the blind? Will not both fall into a pit? You see, there is no leadership without vision. And so I want to give you, again, three things that make a vision a vision. And if you have a vision for your youth ministry, or if you are seeking God for one, then I would encourage you to use these three things as a checklist to measure your, your vision up against. Okay? Because I believe that the first thing that vision is, is that vision is measurable. It's measurable. And this now, and I think this is an area where we can get confused sometimes, this is the difference between your mission and your vision. Because you see, your mission is about what you do, Your vision is about where you are going. Let me try and uh, explain that in a a limitless context. Our mission, as I've already explained, is to reach young people, equip youth leaders, and inspire dynamic youth ministry through the local church. Now, that is helpful, but it isn't a destination. 
How do we understand if we have arrived there? How do we measure that? How do we know if we've kind of crossed the finish line? It informs our decision-making, but it's a little bit kind of elusive. Our vision, on the other hand, is to pioneer a hundred new youth ministries through churches who are not currently reaching young people in the next 10 years. And I kind of feel like we should have been a little bit more excited about that. But, but <laughs> our vision is to pioneer a hundred new youth ministries through churches who are not currently reaching young people in the next 10 years. We know how to measure that. <laughs> we know how far along that journey we are or we aren't. Is your vision measurable? Because if it's not measurable, how can you tell when your vision has become a reality? So in, in, the, in the 1950s, um, NASA had a, a mission statement, a vision statement, okay? And it was this, to lead the world in space exploration. That was the vision for NASA, to lead the world in space exploration. But how do you tell if you're leading the world in space exploration? <laughs> how do you know when you've arrived at that destination? And who gets to say if you're succeeding or not? Because the Americans might say they're leading the world, but the Russians probably had a different opinion. But then one day, JFK stood in front of Congress and he said, in public, before everybody, by the end of the decade, we will put a man on the moon. And suddenly, game on. <laughs> they had a vision and everybody knew the destination Everybody knew when they were heading, uh, and everybody knew the time by, by which they were aiming to get there. Could that be said of your youth ministry, I wonder? Uh, to put it in, in formulaic terms, if that's helpful, a vision, I think, should look a bit like this. X to Y by when. X to Y by when. From here to there by then. From naught to a hundred in ten years. From earth to the moon by the end of the decade. Is your vision measurable, I wonder, in that way? Something for you to reflect on. And the second thing is that vision must, 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 must be easy to understand. It must be easy to understand. And this is something that we've learnt the hard way among our team. Because God began to stir in our hearts a, a vision for something and, and the content of it was great and the heart behind it was great. Um, but as we launched that, we very quickly discovered that it was too complex for people to grasp. And it wasn't that people were against it or didn't like the, the reason for it. It's that people couldn't understand it and thus were unable to journey with it. Complexity is the enemy of vision. And I would just say it in this way, if you cannot explain the vision for your youth ministry in one sentence, then your vision is too complicated to succeed. The success of your vision depends upon people embracing it. And people don't embrace paragraphs, they embrace sentences. So keep it simple. And then the third thing that your vision needs to be is your vision needs to be God-sized. It needs to be, I believe, I really believe this, that God-honoring visions are God-sized. Big, hairy, audacious goals. And, and I would just want to challenge you guys that if your vision doesn't scare you, it's too small. Even as I say a hundred new churches, I kind of wish I didn't say it because I don't really know how we're going to get there without God. 
when your dream is too small, you rob God of the opportunity to show up and show himself to be who he says he is. But when you attempt something that you could not possibly achieve without God, you cannot possibly take the glory when you achieve it. And that's why God loves audacious visions. If you want to experience the supernatural in your youth ministries, then guys, attempt something that is beyond your natural ability to accomplish. Do something that you cannot do unless God shows up, because that's when God shows up. And then sixthly, the last one, I believe that fruitful leaders are action-oriented. I believe that that is crucial for every leader to be action-oriented. You see, I believe that dreamers dream about it, talkers talk about it, and leaders do it. (laughs) Dreamers dream about it, thinkers think about it, talkers talk about it, philosophers philosophize about it, but leaders make it happen. And and it's very intentional that uh, action-oriented follows directly after vision in this triangle because, you see, A vision without a to-do list is a wish list. Leadership is primarily expressed in behaviors, not ideas. Leaders act. Leaders function. Leaders do. Leaders take hold of the reins of their lives and they make change happen. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) See, you and I as as youth leaders, we're great talkers, right? (laughs) We're great talkers. We have... Lots of great ideas. But let us not spend so much time talking about great ideas that eventually we convince ourselves we've actually done something about them. Let us not spend so much time talking about the problems that eventually, because we've talked so much, we convince ourselves that we have done something about them. You see, leaders don't just have great ideas. They make ideas happen. One of my responsibilities here uh, at HQ is that I have an appraisal that I take my staff through. And one of the questions on that appraisal I think is a phenomenal question that we should all ask of ourselves. I can say that because I didn't write it. Uh, It's a phenomenal question that we should all ask of ourselves and it's this. Describe how your work has brought about actual change in your ministry in the past 12 months. If we don't ask ourselves questions like that and reflect on what we've been doing, then very quickly we can find ourselves very busy doing not very much. Um, Andy Stanley and the team at North Point Community Church in the States have a recruitment policy, and I love it, and the recruitment policy is this, recruit doers, not thinkers. (laughs) He says, it is much easier to educate a doer than to activate a thinker. So you can hire thinkers on a short-term basis, he says, but you really need the doers in order to start to get the work done. I don't need people who are going to just think about doing something. I need people who are just going to do it. And you know that those are the people that are the gifts on your team. People who are action-oriented. And it's very intentionally at the top of the triangle because this is the thing that gives the leader their sharp edge. This is the thing that makes a leader cut through the rubbish and get to the point that they are action-oriented. Guys, don't put off until tomorrow the thing that God has called you to do today. 
Because when we fail to take action, we forfeit the future. That's the final element of the public leadership. And these are the things that give the leader their edge. But the caveat to these things, and that this is so important, is that they have to be built on these private foundations. Otherwise, these things can become unhealthy, even dangerous if they're not built on the private foundations. You see, what we are aiming for is the whole triangle. And so the thing that I want to say to you about these three things is I believe that that these three things are essential for effective leadership, but they're essentially ineffective unless built on the private foundations. They're essential for effective leadership, but essentially ineffective unless built on the private foundations. We want the whole triangle. We want the whole thing. It's what Pete Cazaro describes as a contemplative activism, where our doing for God flows out of our being with God. Now, I'm nearly finished, but just before I do, I, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tim, this is all, all very well and good, but, but the problem with this is that there are... There are six, and six is the number of man. Surely if this was a a thing from heaven, there would be seven things. Because seven is, is the number of our Lord. Well, I need to be honest with you, I have been slightly deceiving you. Because there is a seventh. Shock. And so I wonder if you would take your pen and you would draw a circle that encompasses the whole of, of the triangle like so. Because you see, I've been a little cheeky because there is a seventh thing, but it is not the seventh essential of leadership. No, it is the essential of leadership that pervades all of the six essentials. It is the foundation of and the reason for and the result of all leadership. What is it? I believe that thing is hope. Hope that pervades and is the result of all of these things. Our relationship with God. What does that give us, friends, if not hope? The hope of salvation. The hope of glory. The hope of eternity. The hope that we can be free of the destructive behaviors that that once restricted us. The sinful patterns that once imprisoned us. That the hope that we can have life and have it in abundance. As for character... Well, hope is one of the three things that the Bible instructs us to be overflowing in. Be overflowing in hope, the Bible says. And that's why I believe that for the leader, hope is not a personality trait. It's a spiritual discipline. As for self-leadership, well, what is one of the first signs that, that our spiritual disciplines have faltered? The first signs that we are, that we are too busy One of the first signs that we are failing in our self-leadership, is it not that we begin to lose hope? And instead of having hope, we find that hope replaced with cynicism. But leader, I believe this so passionately, if you or I find ourselves thinking cynical thoughts about another person, about another ministry, about the church, even the institution, then that thought should set our alarm bells ringing in our heads, but not that there is something wrong with them, that there is something wrong with us. You see, cynicism is intellectual cowardice. It takes no courage whatsoever to sit at your computer and post up a status on Facebook that 
criticizes somebody else's activities with a skeptical remark. It takes no creativity to sit at the sidelines and poke holes in the things that others are doing for God. Yes, they're imperfect, but at least they're giving it a go. See, cynicism is the enemy of hope. And thus we must ruthlessly eliminate cynicism from our lives. It is a self-leadership responsibility. As for communication, well, is it not the great privilege that we have as youth leaders to see something in the lives of our young people, to see something in the lives of our team that they do not see in themselves and to call it out of them? To say to them, you know what, I believe in you. I believe this for your future. And then to see hope rise in their hearts as they dream about what could be. As for vision, what is vision if not hope for a better future? The hope that things can be better tomorrow than they are today. And the faith to believe that it is not an impossible dream, but a potential reality. And, and, and as for action-oriented, well, why do we work? Why do we act? Why do we serve Jesus and do this youth ministry thing that we do? Is it not because we hope that God can do something special through us in the lives of our young people? Is it not because we hope for a better world where people know Jesus? Is it not because we hope for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? We act because we have hope and we put our hands to the things that we hope for. My friends, I conclude with this. If you inspire hope in others, if you inspire the hope in others to dream more, to do more, and become more than you are a leader. And may it be to us in our youth ministries. These are the six essentials of leadership, and I hope that's been helpful to you. Thanks for listening to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. We want to make sure that the Limitless Leadership Podcast is tackling the issues that affect you in youth ministry. So email us at info at limitlesselam.co.uk to let us know the issues you'd like us to discuss. Stay in touch with us on social media. We're at Limitless Elam on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or however you get your podcasts. See you next time.